Good morning. I too would like to welcome everyone out to the services this morning. I'd especially like to, to thank the leadership here for giving me the opportunity to be here and share a message with you. You know, it's been a long time since my wife, my family, and I have been out here, and we are truly blessed and thankful to be here. I want to thank Brent and Leslie for their hospitality last night. And this has nothing to do with the topic that we're going to discuss this morning, but I've always found it amazing that you can travel across the state or across the, the country or even across the world and be with family. So, again, thank you very much. A lot of new faces, a lot of old faces, just happy to be here. You know, an infamous Chinese general, Sun Tzu, once wrote this, Know thy enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles you will never be defeated. When you are ignorant of the enemy, but know yourself, your chances of winning or losing are equal. If ignorant both of your enemy and of yourself, you are sure to be defeated in every battle. Since September the 11th, 2001, there have been countless intelligence officers all over the world with one mission and one mission only, and that's to know our enemy. In order to fight the enemy, in order to win, you've got to know the enemy. You have to know his goals, his desires. You have to know his abilities. You have to know what your enemy is capable of. You've got to know his M.O., that modus operandi. What is the enemy willing to do to achieve his goal? We would call this technique victimology when, when working cases. Basically what that would, would involve is you try to get to know the victim better than anybody else does. You see, I know my brother one way. His wife knows him another way. His best friend growing up in school knows him another way. What we would try to do is get all those people together, talk to them, and I want to know that person better than anybody else does. And that technique is the same thing used with intelligence officers when trying to get to know the enemy. You want to know the enemy better than anybody else because without that, you'll be defeated. Well, Sean, hold on a minute. <laughs> I'm not at war. I'm not an intel guy, and I don't have any enemies. Brethren, as we enter this new year and we prepare ourselves and we set goals, we, we set spiritual goals, one of the things that I think we have to acknowledge that as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, you have the greatest enemy of all. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we are at war. 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I would like for us to consider this this morning. If you believe in God, which I know everyone here does, if you believe that there is a heaven, which I know you do, if you believe there are angels ministering to each and every one of you every single day, which I know we believe that, and brothers and sisters, we also have to believe and we have to acknowledge that there is a devil. There is a horrible place filled with everlasting torment known as hell. And brethren, just as much as you believe and just as much as you know that your God is with you and he strengthens you, Satan is there also. And he desires nothing more than to take you away from your God. That is Satan's desire. That is your enemy. My question to you this morning is, what are we doing about it? On October 27, 1964, Ronald Reagan delivered a speech that is now called A Time for Choosing. 
In this speech, he made the following statement. We are at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. Forgive me on that part. And it has been said, if we lose that war, and in doing so, lose that way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. And again, I realize Reagan was speaking of the nation and the enemies there at the time, but I can't help but apply this to me and my enemy and my adversary in this spiritual war that we are in. We are at war with the most dangerous enemy. Is there a more dangerous enemy than Satan? When you think of the dangers of an enemy, you consider the consequences of losing that battle or losing to this enemy. Is there any greater consequence? There are no greater consequences than allowing Satan to get his way in your life. If the war is lost, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Is there a greater loss? Our eternal, eternal salvation is at stake. What are we doing to protect it? You know, I've often wondered as we stand before our God and that unbeliever, that unsaved, is told to depart from the presence of the Lord. Do you think that thought comes to mind? I wonder as God and His Son are sitting on high on that judgment seat, do you wonder if they have this same thought? Do they sit in, in, in astonishment and disbelief and think, what were you thinking? My child, you had the most to lose. And you did nothing to protect it. Now, wait a second, Sean. <laughs> you know, I know what John 10 and 28 says. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But then I want to make, make sure I make this clear this morning. The devil cannot pluck you out of the loving hands of your God. But, brothers and sisters, you can choose to step out, step out of those loving arms. You can choose to turn away from him and make no doubt about it, that is the devil doing his work. You see, where we fail oftentimes and where we struggle is we look at the devil as some type of uh, fairy tale red creature with a long tail and a pitchfork. The devil has turned into a cartoon character to us, and he's mythical. He is real, and brethren, he is a worthy foe. And we have to start accepting him for what he is. He is not a joke, and he will win you over. He will win your family over if allowed. I think we as Christians think about the devil at times, but you know, we're Christians. We disassociate ourselves with the devil. We set him aside, and we pretend like he doesn't exist. Brother, he does exist, and he is working right now. He is doing everything in his power to make us stumble. Well, Sean, come on now. I'm, I'm a Christian. He wouldn't dare. Brother, do you really believe the devil works day and night on non-believing atheists? On the rapist, the murderer, whatever you want to name. Do you think he spends a whole lot of time dealing with those people that support killing the babies in the womb? He sits back and checks them off. Smiles. Brother, you need to know, we need to know that his focus is us, the children of God. That is his primary target. You are his greatest battle. You are his greatest conquest. He takes you serious. 
And the question that I have for you this morning is, do we take him serious? Do we know our enemy? Because he knows you, and brother, make no doubt about it, he wants you. Who is this devil? Who is Satan? Again, he is our enemy. He's our adversary. Matter of fact, the Hebrew word there doesn't say adversary. It says the adversary. Meaning this is your greatest enemy. He is the greatest enemy ever known to mankind. And I pray we always remember that. Revelations 12, starting in verse 7. Revelations 12, starting in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's Satan. On a side note, we, uh, and I've told this story before, we were studying Revelations not too times. You know, the enemy's always been the same. He uses different tools, but the enemy's always been Satan. We were doing a study on Revelations, and I was uh, tasked with going over all the symbols before we got into each chapter that week. And there were some symbols. I was going through Jerry McCorkle's notes, and, and I was struggling with trying to figure out uh, some things. So I called Jerry. And y'all know how Jerry is about revelations. And I called him, I said, Jerry, look, man, I, I, I'm looking at your notes, and, and I don't see how you're getting from point A to, to point B on this. I, I'm struggling with making that connection. He goes, Sean, it'd just be a lot easier if you just memorized the book. I'm like, Jerry, I speak next week. Just, you know, a little helpful hint would be okay. He ended up helping me, but yeah, I w- we'll just memorize the book. But first thing that we must recognize is that Satan was in heaven with our God. He was a heavenly being. We know that all those in heaven worship God. In Isaiah 6 and 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Nehemiah 9 and 6, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all and the host of heaven worship thee. Satan, your enemy, was in the presence of the Almighty. And he fell down and worshipped him before his demise. Isaiah 14 and 12 is speaking of a king, but it's also uh, prophetic dualism. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst Uh, weaken the nations for thou hast said in thine heart I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation the sides of the north I will ascend above the heights of the cloud I will be like the most high if you'd like to turn to Ezekiel 28 Ezekiel 28 starting in verse 13 Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the uh, carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of the tabrets, and of the pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walketh up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now listen to this. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. 
By the multitude of the merchandise they have filled in the midst of thee with violence and now has sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Satan was just not another angel. He was something special at one time. He is described as bright and beautiful. He's called the covering cherub. Some believe this refers to the cherubs who sat upon and covered the mercy seat of God. Brother, your enemy at one time was perfect in his ways. I ask you this morning, what is his ways now? And how good is he? And that's your enemy. That is who you face on each and every day. We have to understand that we are fighting this spiritual warfare on his home turf. Ephesians 2 and 2 refers to Satan as the prince and power of the air. Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world in John chapter 12, 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is in the image of God should shine upon them. And please understand, God is all-powerful, but Satan does have certain abilities here on this earth. He's allowed to roam, do his work. But to whom? 2 Corinthians again, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, the unbelievers. This, there's further proof of his ability or even limited authority, if you will, on earth when you read of the temptation of Christ and what he was offered. Matthew 4 and 8, Again, the devil taketh him upon the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, prince of the air, Prince of the world, God of the world. 2 Timothy 3 and 6, we know Satan is prideful. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Satan is cunning. He is fierce. He is cruel. He's hunting you. Again, 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And we think he's a cartoon figure. We know Satan was in the Garden of Eden. And he was deceitful. Ephesians 6 and 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He was subtle in the garden. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. John 8 and 44. Ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and he is the father of it. He is a liar, and he is a murderer. And that is your enemy. What does this enemy of ours want? What is his desire? Again, you have to go back to why Satan started a war in heaven. It was the same sin that he tempted Adam with. Genesis 3 and 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan tempted Eve with the same sin that caused his demise. That shows his desire. Matthew 4 and 8, Again the devil taketh him upon the exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Brethren, as we leave here this afternoon, we're going to go visit him with some brothers and sisters, and we're going to have lunch. We're going to have a great time. Everybody's going to go home. We're going to enjoy this week that we have. We're going to enjoy the, the freedoms that we enjoy this, this, in this country. But, brethren, I want you to think about what's going on right now. I want us to wrap our mind around the battle that we're in each and every day. In this great country that we live in, your true enemy, Satan, he wants you on your face, at his feet, worshiping him. He wants and desires with every bit of his being to be your God and to be your master. To turn away from the I am and go to him. And that's your enemy. He wants absolute authority over you and your family, your children. Sean, hang on. <laughs> uh, hold on just a minute. There's no way I would ever kneel before Satan. I would never worship him. I wouldn't fall down to him. Really? Folks, when you play something ahead of your God, you're falling down before Satan. When you choose to go against the will of God, you are lying at Satan's feet. When you choose evil or sin over good, you're worshiping the creator of sin. When you lie, that's of him, the creator of lies. I will give you all these things if you fall down and you worship me. Oh, I would never. We do. And let me make sure I make this clear. Unbelievers, those that refuse to do the will of God, are doing the will of Satan. So this morning, who are you worshiping? And who do you serve? Romans 6 and 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whom do you serve? And who do you worship? Do you stand as Joshua and says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Brother, we first have to recognize that there is an actual battle going on. We have an actual enemy out there. And we are at war with the enemy. Not with an adversary, but the adversary. And we have something far more priceless than our homes and our jobs and the freedoms that we enjoy, our possessions and money. We have far more priceless things at stake than those. And that's our soul. Our eternal salvation is what we are fighting for. We are fighting for our families. We are fighting for our children. Elders, we are fighting for our flocks. History will record with the greatest astonishment that those that had the most to lose did the least to prevent it from happening. Is that you? How are you doing in this fight? 
Obviously, the creator of evil, of sin, needs us to sin in order for him to have any chance in this battle. Remember 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. His only chance, the only way that he can gain a stronghold or get any ground in this is to get you to stumble. Again, this is where people start to think of Satan as the the mystical creature, some fictional character. And we do not give him credit for his evil ways. Satan is here. He is in your lives each and every day trying to make you stumble. Make no doubt about it. Satan is present when you are tempted. Satan is present when you sin. Forty days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan was with Jesus. In the holy city, sitting on the pinnacle of the temple, Satan was there. On the high mountains to see all the kingdoms, Satan was there. Brethren, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when your Lord and Savior was in anguish, Satan was there. During those times, the Scriptures does not, they do not describe a Savior that was laughing at Satan's advances. The Scripture doesn't say, oh, Jesus just blew them off. Jesus was tempted. He was in anguish, and he was suffering due to that. And brothers and sisters, Satan is there each and every time waiting to pounce like a lion on us and our vulnerabilities. And that's your enemy, and that is who we face each and every day. He works very hard and is very good. He is perfect in his ways. The same being that tempted our Lord and Savior comes after us. And we think he's a joke. We don't give him credit. And brother, quite frankly, we have to change our mindset over that. We know our enemy and his ways, but how does he directly tempt us? How's he going to fire the first shot in this process? And brother, at least for somebody like me, that is very scary. Very scary. He uses the things within me as a weapon. He uses the thoughts of my mind and my heart. And it starts with the mind, again, in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Romans 8 and 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and is peace. If you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3 and 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world, or life or death, or things present or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God. Satan starts in your mind. He is the one that is telling you, making you think of the next big promotion at work that's going to take you away from your church work, your church family, and his services. He is the one standing in the coffee pot or at the coffee pot in the morning with all the guys that are bad mouthing their wives and telling you, you know what, your wife ain't much better. Your life ain't worth living with her. Satan is the one speaking to you 
God wouldn't want you to live that way. He would want you to be happy. Go ahead. Walk out. God would understand, given your situation. Satan is a liar, and he is the father of it. You think he won't lie about your God? He does each and every day through media, TV, social media, so-called men of God. A loving God would never condemn anyone. You do as you please. It really don't matter how you worship because God doesn't care about those things. Matter of fact, you can worship God on your fishing boat or in your hunting blind. He puts in your mind that watching pornography just, you know, a few times a week, that's not hurting anybody because, you know, that's a, that's a victimless sin. He puts in your mind that it's just a, a little sin. It's not the big sin like brother so-and-so did a while back. Yeah, I might be doing these little things, but at least I'm not that bad. Your mind is where it all begins, and your enemy knows that. If he can just get that small thought in there, he has a chance. Many of you, I know Jay can attest to this. My dad, who served as an elder at our congregation for many years, if he had the opportunity, he would speak on 1 Corinthians 13 probably every time. I cannot tell you the number of times I studied that chapter with him, diving into each and every word, discussing the meaning and the application which is the first and, uh, commandment of all? Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And second, love your neighbor. If we can just love, everything else will fall into place. Is it a coincidence that part of love is thinking no evil, the mind? Sin starting in your mind as a thought? How many times, we don't need a show of hands, but how many times have you thought evil of one of your brothers and sisters? here at this congregation. Be honest with yourself. Do you think that just popped there? You think you just come up that, came up with that with you, by yourself? Brother, acknowledge the fact that you have Satan out there and he's trying to work in you and he's trying to work in this family, in this family across the world. You need to understand what your enemy is capable of. He is in your head putting those thoughts there. Recognize him for what he is. He is a deceitful liar a manipulator that is intentionally trying to drive you away from God and His kingdom because that's the only way you'll fall and worship Him. Brother, how many marriages have failed because of, of this one thing? Thinking evil, countless. And the prince of this world loves divorce statistics. Just a side note, 50% of all marriages end in divorce in this country. 78% of all second marriages divorce. But a side note for you as children of God, less than 1% of praying couples end a divorce. And we're going to speak about this here in just a moment. But when you're pushing God in, Satan gets pushed out. You know what really bothers me? And my wife doesn't like it when I say this. She says it sounds a little arrogant, and I don't mean to. Um, so maybe I probably shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyways. It, it is aggravating when I know Satan is working on me. I really do. I get upset. I get mad. I tell myself, why does he think he can attack me? Am I that weak looking that he can come after me? Does he think I'm going to fall for that? Of all the people in the world, Satan's going to come after me and put that in my mind. I start getting upset. I'm insulted. 
I don't know, maybe, maybe Lori's right. Maybe I need to have a different mindset, but I know one thing. I'm recognizing my enemy, and I'm trying to recognize his tactics in the game he's playing. Brothers and sisters, the absolute worst thing that we can do in our Christian lives in this spiritual warfare is to deny or not to acknowledge the fact that we are in one and that Satan exists, and he is intentionally and he is being deliberate in his attack on us and our families and God's kingdom. A philosopher once stated, and it was later used in a movie, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Brother, he's a liar. Acknowledge his existence, recognize his ways, and accept the fact that we are in a war. That's all it boils down to. Once we acknowledge him in this war, and we understand he will first attack our mind and our thoughts, we have to come up with a way to defend ourselves and our family. We've got to come up with our own tactics. Our souls are at stake, right? We're given some guidance in Philippians 4. You want to push out those thoughts? You want to get Satan out of there? Don't allow him to tempt you in your heart. You want to remove the sin before Satan plants it in your head, then this is it. Basically, Philippians 4 says you fill your mind, your heart with these things. There's no room for Satan to get in there. And that starts in verse 7 of Philippians 4. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Other translations say guard your hearts and your mind as in a military stronghold. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. In the moments where they are not guarded, there's a lack of peace. Whatsoever things are true. Brethren, what is true today? What was true yesterday? And what's true tomorrow? That's the Word of God. That is our truth. God is the God of truth, just like Satan is the father of lies. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth. And the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is truth. When we start thinking about Jesus, we can push our lies that the enemy's telling us out. We can get up in the morning and we say, I am going to strive to know my Savior more today than I did yesterday. I'm going to have a closer relationship with my God closer today than I did yesterday. When the Word of God is more important to me than the rumors around the coffee pot, that is when His peace guards my heart and my mind. I don't know if anyone here has experience with banking, but you know that when they go to, to train bank tellers, they don't teach them what a counterfeit bill feels like. But they do train them over and over and over again what a real dollar feels like. They don't have to know all the different counterfeit bills that are going to pop up because they know the real thing. Brethren, Satan, the creator of lies, has an unlimited number of lies that he can tell you. But if you know the truth, you'll recognize it for what it is. His are counterfeit and they're deceitful. A deceitful tool he is using against you. 
God says in order to be in peace and protect yourself from those things, know the truth and think on those things. Whatever are honest, meaning noble or honorable or morally excellent. When we are thinking uh, of nobility and, and being honorable, we can again turn to the truth. We must turn to the, the life of our Lord and Savior. See His example. Think on those things. Whatsoever things are just and upright, righteous, virtuous, keeping the commands of God. Think on those things. That's your Jesus. That's your Savior. That's what you think on. Whatsoever things are pure. Brethren, it is very easy to see and think of impurity in today's society. Again, is there anything more pure than the Word of God? Is there anyone more pure than your Lord and Savior? I will tell you how you can apply this practically. Sean, I'm still not getting all this stuff. It's very simple. You're having uh, some type of sin problem, addiction, idolatry, whatever the case is. The problem is destroying your marriage, is tearing apart your family, which is eventually what will happen. Recognize it for what it is. It is sin. It is a sin that hung your Savior on the cross. And due to his sacrifice, you as a child of God are pure. Whatsoever things are pure, brother, my Savior is pure. And because of him, so am I. Think on that. Whatsoever things are lovely or acceptable and pleasing. When I think of things being lovely, acceptable, and pleasing, I think of God's creation, including us, myself. I think of how awesome he is, what he how he made us. I want you to know something, especially to our young people here this morning. Your God loves you. He created you perfect in every single way. He designed your DNA to make you exactly the way that you are. Brothers and sisters, think on that. Think on the fact that you are acceptable to an almighty God and you are lovely in his eyes. I encourage you to study Psalms 139. Matter of fact, I may have a few minutes. Psalms 139, if you want to turn there. Psalms 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge, knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is nigh, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from the Spirit, or whether shall I flee from the presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I made my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light upon about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, 
and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which is uh, continuance, were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in the number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. That's the God that made you, and that's the God that loves you. Think on those things. When you choose to obey Him and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that pleases the I am. Think on that. I want you to think of something that's very humbling. The I am, the creator of all, your God who made everything and can make you do whatever he desires. You know what his greatest desire is? Is for you to desire him. Think about that for a minute. Your God who can do all simply wants you to love him. How beautiful is that? You have something your God desires. Back to Philippians, Paul, Paul finishes with, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Just think on these things. You know what he's saying there? If you want to remove all the evil thoughts that Satan is planting in your head, you cannot do it. There's too many things that he can cram in there. What we have to do is fill our minds and our hearts with God. If there be any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Brethren, at your darkest moment when sin is filling your mind and it's attacking your heart, think on Jesus. Think about what He did for you. Think about how He suffered and He died for you. Think about a God that came up with a plan of salvation. Think about a God that loves you enough to do those things. Think about a God who knows the numbers of, head, of hairs on your head. He knew your sins before you commit them and loves you despite of them. You give Him the glory, give Him the praise, and you think on those things. I read where a professor held up a glass in front of his students. And he asked how he could remove all the air from the glass. One student said, well, we can create this vacuum but if we did that, it's going to eventually get all the air out, but it would also break the glass. Finally, the, press, the professor reached over, grabbed a pitcher of water, and he simply filled up the glass. Brethren, the only way to remove Satan's wiles, these evil thoughts that ultimately lead to, to temptation and sin, you've got to fill your mind with God and the peace that he brings. Romans 12 and 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Brethren, your enemy is attacking, and he starts with the mind. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against knowledge of God and bringeth into cap captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Think on these things. Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there, and we've all studied this many times, I find it interesting that God knew about this warfare. 
And he prepared us for us. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints." Brother, the battle line has been drawn. The question is, are you going to toe the line? When you face your enemy and proclaim the truth, are you going to be there? The fact that you are a child of God, the one and only God, there is no other God, are you going to stand there and say, I serve the I Am, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who I serve. I will not bow down to any other God. I'm going to toe this line. There are no kingdoms you can promise me. There is no sin that will stand between me and my relationship with my Heavenly Father. You will not get my family. That is what your God expects of you. He expects you to fight the good fight. But you know what I find interesting again God describes this as a war throughout the Scriptures. Do you think your God is naive about war? Or do you think He's seen it all? Your God knows the struggle. Your God knows this is not an easy life that you've chosen. When you decided that you were going to accept Him, He knew what you were going to go through. And He knew the fiery darts that you would face. But I do know one thing, brethren. My God is a God of His Word. Satan is the creator of lies. My God is the creator of promises kept. And if He instructs me to do something, then whatever I'm instructed to do or not do, it can be done. He would not ask me to do the impossible. That would make my God a liar. And that's not the case. Will this walk be tough? Absolutely. At times, will this battle seem like we're losing? Seem unwinnable at times. Oh, yeah. If you live long enough, you will face things you would never have thought of. But your enemy did. And that is why the only way that you're going to win this battle is to fill your life with God. Fill your life with your Savior. Turn it over to God and quit trying to do this on your own. You can't do it. You cannot come up with a way to defeat Satan on your own. Fortunately for us, he's already been defeated. I have marital problems. Put God in, push Satan out. Brother, just fill up your glass. I've got an addiction problem. Replace that unhealthy addiction, whatever it may be, with an addiction to the Word of God to his kingdom, to, his, to this family here. Well, Sean, you know, I just don't know that I'm strong enough. 
probably aren't. But you are a child of God. You were designed and created by the I am. And he loves you. You don't have to be strong enough because he is the almighty. And he is. If you're here this morning and you think you're losing this war, you need to get back in the fight. This family here can pray for you and with you. Or perhaps you didn't realize there was a war going on. Perhaps you didn't even realize Satan was out to get you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then you need to take care of that this morning. You need to be baptized. And you need to do that today. Satan is the one that's filling your mind with, well, I can wait till tomorrow. Well, then tomorrow may not come. Now is the time. If there be one of either class, we'd ask you please come forward as we stand and sing.